This is ChaosCast, the Chaos Community Podcast, where we share use cases and experiences with measuring open source community health, elevating conversations about metrics, analytics, and software from the Community Health Analytics Open Source Software, or short Chaos Project, to wherever you like to listen. Welcome to this episode. This podcast is sponsored by our friends at Sustain, a community of open source enthusiasts and professionals that care about the future of open source. Learn more at sustainoss.org. Super excited to have this joint podcast between Sustain and Chaos today. Georg, it's great to have you on here. That was Georg Link talking before. I'm Richard Littauer. Then we have a few other hosts on today and no guests. So we have Samantha. Hello, I'm Samantha Venia-Logan, and it's been a while for chaos, at least. I am the co-founder for sociallyconstructed.online, and I spend a lot of time on chaos. Awesome. We also have Brian Prophet. Hi, my name is Brian Prophet. I am a work in the Red Hat Open Source Program Office. One of my jobs, and I have so many jobs, is gathering and collecting and analyzing data around open source communities, especially where you have the intersection between business and an open source. And I've been working with the Chaos Project for some time and happy to be here today. Excellent. I should have known that you work at Red Hat from the Red Hat on the wall. I think it's contractually obliged for every Red Hat employee to have that hat somewhere in their Zoom background. It is. Pia, how are you doing today? Hi, Rich. Hi, everyone. Nice to see you. Pia Mancini here from Open Collective. We work helping open source projects and other communities be sustainable by having access to a financial mechanism. So hi from Madrid, and thank you for accommodating a European time today for the podcast. You're welcome. We didn't have to wake up that that early. Uh-huh. Yeah, the rest of my team, I work at Bitrich, the rest of my team is in Madrid. Unfortunately, right now with the lockdown, you can't just meet up with them for coffee. But I hope to visit again sometime soon. Yeah, introduce myself. I'm Georg Link, one of the co-founders of the Chaos Project. And I work at Bitrichia, where we provide metrics and analytics to understand software development in open source and also internal software projects. And I'm super excited that we are having this shared podcast. The idea behind it was because there's a lot of work happening on sustaining software and understanding the health of our community. We keep running into each other at the Sustain events at ChaosCon. And now we actually are thankful, at least Chaos is thankful to Sustain for sponsoring the Chaos Cast, our podcast. We're thankful for you for hosting it. It's really great to have someone focus on that particular side of what is open source development and how does it work and what are communities and how can you find metrics to figure out how something is. I have a question for you three. So we've talked about Chaos before. We've had a podcast where you've come on, Georg, and that was really great. And you should all go listen to that podcast. But I still fundamentally want to know, don't metrics lose some of the qualitative aspects of communities and of projects by trying to find quantitative things? How are you not 
stripping away what really is the heart of open source. And I'm asking that intentionally difficultly to make it more of a scarecrow question, but that's what I always think about when chaos comes in the room. So how do you answer that? I really like how all of us just got all super excited and started cracking our fingers. It's absolutely wonderful. (laughs) This is actually a specialty area of mine. At Socially Constructed, we actually spend a lot of our time on qualitative data and qualitative metrics. My co-founder and I are anthropologists at heart. We spend a lot of our time in online community management, actually talking to people, getting them to elicit a lot of statements. And that's all like passive conversation that happens. You just have to get a feel for the community. And that could not be more the case in open source. The conversations that are happening are largely interpersonal or grapevine or they're happening on forums. So there's this massive hose that you have to work yourself through when it comes to qualitative data on open source platforms. How do you measure that? And more importantly, how do you measure that in a way that isn't biased or doesn't break down once you abstract it far enough into numbers? And I feel like chaos has gone a long way toward making sure that there's that analytics idea, truth is in the trend, the power is in the pattern, the numbers are important. Then on the other side saying the numbers are important, but they're representing behaviors And behaviors does not constitute your community. And it's trying to find those qualitative aspects that chaos has been working on a lot recently. Yeah, I would jump off that point too, because I agree a lot with what Samantha said. The idea here is that the the data, the quantitative data, is just one signal in an entire spectrum of signals that you're going to get. And as she just said, it's going to be like qualitative and quantitative, and you just have to balance it out. Because in the past, really all we had is community managers or community architects or liaisons or whatever you wanted to call us on a given day was just this gut feeling that we had rolling in based on our own prior experience on what was right about a community. So you had And no one's really ever done this before on a large scale, open source and free software and all the altruistic aspects of it and the community aspects of it. And I tell people, I try to describe what I do as a job and I admit right away, it's very weird. But you had to bring all that past, quote, normal experience from like business or psychology or whatever your background was and try to apply it without any kind of quantitative data. And so it led to a lot of cognitive bias. It led to a lot of assumptions that might not have been true. And so having the quantitative data is just a better signal amongst many other signals to help manage a community. Rich, I would also add to that, not being from, you know, being from the Sustain podcast, but I do think that from my kind of neck of the woods, like having access to some metrics is helps us make far better decisions. So for example, like the whole dependency conversation, right? How can you, you know, trickle down money or or move donations down your dependency tree and which dependencies are being used and which ones are being financed and how they're spending their money and what they need money for. All of that, I think is, it's data that Open Collective, for example, we don't have because we do not do this, but it's data that I would, or metrics that I would absolutely use if I had 
to build up better programs for open source sustainability. For sure. But I do see the point that just thinking of open source projects as data, it sucks the life out of it a little bit. So I think it's striking, you know, that balance. I think just to add to this is one of the issues we've had trying to understand open source in academia, where PhD students, professors, they would see open source, see that it's all open and public, and they would just start analyzing what they could see without actually being part of the community. They didn't have the expert knowledge on what that behavior meant. And so the analysis that we see in academic papers is often limited to those quantitative observations. Even if they went to analyze some of the texts, they couldn't fully grasp the context that it was in. And as we are developing metrics in chaos, we always say, you need to tell the story of the community. You need to have someone who knows the community in and outside to really interpret what the data is showing you. I'm curious about what are the most kind of salient or the most, I don't know, important qualitative metrics that you are evaluating? I am a little bit biased on my end, but for us at Socially Constructed, we started working on the social currency metric system, which is our version and chaos has taken that and run on their own with it, which we're very excited to see what happens there. But we actually focus primarily on a lot of anthropological themes that seem to come up in the way that people use language and talk about their communities. So these are like themes that your community will represent, even if they're using words that are different, but it still means that thing. So the first one that I tend to look at is transparency. Because it's that definition of, okay, do I really feel like I know this community? Do I really feel like I'm on the outside looking in and it's transparent and viable? And then after that, we're starting to look into utility. A lot of people are entering a community because of content or service or product or to create something. So it's that utility of, is it performing the function it's supposed to? And then after that utility, the question becomes, all right, so you're providing a service and it seems like you're doing this pretty well. Are you doing it consistently over time? So then there's this time factor. And then after that, once you spend enough time in a community, you start to build enough transparency and utility to say, yes, this is something that's worth doing. I will provide merit to it. And it's this external concept of, yes, this community is worthwhile. It's valuable. It's something that we know and we like. And then the last metric that I tend to look at is this overarching theme, this concept of trust, which I tend to define as turning that merit internal. You now trust this community to be around for a while. You trust this community to value the contributions that you make and the interactions and the relationships that you delve. So I look at transparency, utility, consistency, merit, and trust. That's fascinating. So the social listening metric that Vinya just mentioned is probably the most in-depth qualitative way of looking at a community that we currently have in the chaos 
collection of metrics. You can have uh, more simple ones that a lot of people are starting to understand. One of them is the bus factor or lottery factor, where we say, okay, who is doing 50% of the work? If it's one person who does 50% of the work in a project and this person goes away, either because they win a lottery or because they're run over by a bus, then we can start to tell that story. And that is rooted in quantitative analysis, but we're starting to tell that story, that qualitative story around it. Another area where we have a lot of qualitative information is around diversity and inclusion. And it's really difficult to look at the numbers and understand how welcoming is this community? How are we doing to include the people who come first time to the community, who come from different backgrounds, who have their own challenges for being in our community? And so for diversity and inclusion, we have to rely on asking people, surveying, interviews, just having best practices established, and then checking, are we following these best practices, having a code of conduct, making strides to have diversity access tickets for our events. So this is an update from when we talked last time. Throughout 2020, we have established a badging program at Chaos because we realized these metrics around diversity and inclusion are difficult for people to implement. So we said, okay, let's have a badging program where we ask the projects or events, how are you being attentive to these things that we've identified being important? And you go to our website, you submit an application, and then you provide evidence for how are you doing the things that are the right things to do. And if we see something where we're like, let's uh, see if you can improve this, then we help help you with this. So <laughs> you're trying to be developmental and supportive. And when you've done all that, you get a badge and you can say, hey, I have gone through this process of looking at how we do diversity and inclusion for our event or project. And here's a chaos DNI badge. That's awesome. I was just looking up on the website. This is at chaos.community. You can find a link to the diversity and inclusion working group there if you're following along, which is super cool. Have you found a lot of uptake for the badges? Have people started using them? We just got our first badge applicant who earned the gold badge, and that is FOSS Backstage. So we just started and opened this up. Yeah. And right now we are at a stage of reaching out to event organizers, letting them know about this. And we do get quite a bit of interest. Now we are waiting for them to actually plan events again. Foss Backstage is having an event in early February in Berlin, I believe. It'll be super exciting. Although it's going to be everywhere because COVID. So tune in. So one of the questions I have, I'm thinking of the listener. Hello, O listener. How can people get involved besides joining the working group? Are there ways like, can there like a chaos tool they can just click and then they'll just run over their repos and understand everything? Or what can they do? The Chaos Project, right now we have three main areas for for what we do. One is the metric side, where we have working groups defining metrics. And a lot of the work in those working groups is we have a Google Doc. We say, okay, what do we actually want to understand about our community? 
how do we go about collecting data for it, interpreting the data? And we have those conversations around what does it mean to have a value in our projects? How do we measure that? Do we tie the work that is being done in our open source projects to revenue streams in our company? How do we do that? So we have these questions and write out the metric definitions. That is one area where we would love anyone to come join and share their experience. Another area we have is producing software. Because there is a lot of work that has to go into collecting data about open source projects. Sure, a lot of projects are on GitHub. So we can have uh, tools that access the API and look at the Git log. But then we also have mailing lists, we have Discord, we have Slack, we have all of these different platforms that communities choose. And building the foundation to collect the metrics is what our software does. So you can just go install either Augur or Grimoire Lab. We have two different approaches to this with two different philosophies. And you can help there if you wanted to get involved. Just start installing it, take it for a test run, and then you can help improve it. The third area where we are working right now and where we could use help is the outreach. This is the diversity and inclusion badge is something that we do for outreach, helping people implement metrics. We have events like Chaos Con, which we like to do in person, but right now we have put that on the back burner. There is an event in next week from this recording in Asia that is happening. So yeah, helping with the organizing outreach and just being around and having interesting conversations is the third way to get engaged with chaos. Speaking as a also a non-coding member of chaos, I spend a lot of my time just hanging out, just hop on some meetings, spend a little bit of time getting to know people, get involved. We've had a lot of amazing conversations about the way that we are measuring the internet and what a lot of those impacts really mean. So just getting involved in those conversations and then finding that point where it's, yes, I can contribute there. It is also a really great, really low start if, for you to get to know people and find your place as well. I feel obliged to mention that it's actually very similar for Sustain. We also have working groups, which anyone can get involved in, which are super fun. We just started a really cool one on dependency mapping and how do we fund the dependency tree which would be really interesting. That's actually beginning January 6th. If this podcast comes out in time, which it may, you should join in for that discussion. And that's a new one. We also have another one on governance, which is new, which I think, Georg, you're, you're in. I think you're in I all the working had... groups, though. <laughs> <laughs> so. I'm uh, very, yes. I like to get engaged and have these conversations. The governance one is a fun one, where we took the... Eleanor Ostrom's governing the commons approach adopted it for open source and we merged it with another working group that was providing very explicit checklists for here's what you should look for when you have governance. And then another working group that we have is around how do companies actually determine how much to give back to open source? I know Dwayne O'Brien from Indeed is leading that one. That's a really interesting conversation also around 
the supply side of giving resources to open source and how do we make that transparent, how companies make those decisions. And yeah, I, I really love the sustain community. I love the chaos community. There are a lot of great conversations to have. So I actually want to flip this around a little bit and ask the question to y'all about what is sustain? What does your organization do for those people listening to the chaos podcast? And this is my reporter hat coming on now. Pretend I don't know anything about your organization. And that's not pretending because I don't really know much about your organization. Can you give me the, the highlights, the elevator pitch? What does your organization do? Sure. Maybe because Sustain is not really an organization. It's just a group of people, <laughs> a community that comes together. So it started by us putting together an event called Sustain in 2017. And the goal was to bring folks into the same room to have a conversation about what is sustaining open source. And the goal, the explicit goal was to bring folks from every different aspect that we could think of, of the open source ecosystem. So maintainers, nonprofits, companies, anyone working in or around the open source ecosystem, we wanted to have a conversation, academia, science, et cetera. And the goal was really, we just want to chat about this. Let's have a conversation about sustainability. And from there, we started growing. As we grew with the years, sustain, it's attempting to anchor that conversation around sustainability by defining what we think or you know, proposing more than defining what we understand by open source sustainability and anchoring that down in concrete tools for open source projects to grow in their sustainability path. So sustain just that. We come together, we share knowledge about the sustainability of the open source ecosystem, and we try very hard to build tools, whatever they are. They don't have to be software, like this podcast is a tool to chat about and work with open source projects in their sustainability. So that's what we do. That sounds very organized. I, that's got to be, that's gotta be <laughs> way more than a group of people. I'm sorry. It's not, I no, promise. It's a group of anything people. Anything more than getting my copy together, I'm in an organization. <laughs> I mean, come fair, that's fair. That's fair. But uh, yeah, I, what I meant is we're not a structured organization. Or I understand. <laughs> Technically, our domain is a .org. That's about as orgy as we get. (laughs) (laughs) While open source software today is powering critical infrastructure, the open source ecosystem as a whole is rapidly changing, facing challenges for governance, maintenance, maintainer burnout, funding, marketing, and more. Are you concerned about these things for your open source software too? Well, in the sustained community, We discuss these challenges and share solutions for how to sustain open source in the long haul. We meet once per year in person, and the rest of the time we keep the fire burning in our discourse forum. Join our conversations at sustainoss.org and sustainoss on Twitter. I do think it's interesting, and the internet has thrown this concept of what a company or what an organization or what a community is on its head over the course of the past 15 to 20 years. And speaking as an anthropologist who spent a lot of time in virtual worlds, I do think it's interesting because there's this natural flow that people tend to follow, where if there's not enough organization, but they really want to see something happen, they ask for more structure. They start to build that structure. 
But there's also a certain point where that structure becomes cumbersome and difficult and they don't want that. And it feels like they just cannot get close to this entity that has become so structured. So they start to break it down and they start to have these interpersonal conversations like, hey, you know what? This is too business friendly. Like, can we just, how are you? And they start to have these conversations. And I think it's really wonderful how a lot of open source organizations start to resist this idea of, no, we're not an organization. We're a group of people that do all of the organization things, but we're not an organization, I promise. Yeah, that feels really close to home, obviously. Open Collective is, is about that. It's about essentially providing a minimal organizational structure for communities to be able to operate in a way that it's more or less organized without becoming something that they're not. So we call them circles in a world made for triangles. The kind of ecosystem, the financial system that we have expects them to be incorporated somewhere to have equity of some sort or ownership of some sort, or at least a vertical or hierarchical structure of uh, one way or another. So you can have a business bank account. So you can talk to a company in the same terms. Corporations speak to corporations. They do not speak to communities because they do not understand how these communities operate. And so the goal of Open Collective is providing communities with something that more or less looks like an organization, which is a collective, and helps them interface with companies, foundations, governments, so they can actually be financially sustainable without becoming a triangle themselves. So yeah. yes, that, like, that feels very close to home. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like you're striking a really important position in that important dialectic between how structured do we need to be to function and how unstructured do we need to be to keep people coming in and excited and engaging. That's really interesting point, Mina, because I had this conversation with new communities all the time. It's like they hear, I need a governance and I'm a terrible person for giving out governance because for me, it's basically the conversation is, who gets to decide when there's a conflict? And that's it. And they're like, do we need bylaws? Or do we need a, a big document? That, and I'm like, no, just decide who gets to make the decisions if there's any kind of conflict. And then you're basically there. But for me, it feels weird. It's always like a permissions thing. I need to have permission to do this thing. Can the organization give me permissions? And then, yeah, absolutely. Like you said, at a certain point, everybody's like, boy, we have a lot of overhead and it cycles back again. It's really fascinating to see that. And I, I'm glad it's not just me. <laughs> and there's this established statement in the business world, the ever pompous business world, communication happens at the bar. So I think it's funny that businesses have touched on the fact that they are possibly too structured to really function in small group project sets. And in that way, it becomes, if an organization makes, needs to make a pivoting decision for the mission of their company, it's like trying to turn a Titanic on a dime versus a lot of open source organizations. And it seems like Sustain is trying to formalize this. A lot of open source organizations are like, oh, this isn't working. All right, we're going to move. And it's their turn in a rowboat. Yeah. During the first sustain, when we wrote like one of the first, I guess, insights or learnings that we got from that meeting was something called free the maintainer. And the idea was like maintainer shouldn't be tied for life to a piece of software that they wrote 
you know, a while ago. And maybe they think that, maybe they don't like it anymore. Maybe they just don't want to keep maintaining it. And, and if they have 6 million users, sorry, like this is not what we want anymore sometimes. And so accepting that it's also, it's a very difficult proposition for a structured organization. It's difficult in a, in a fluid ecosystem like open source. And it's even harder if the organization is more formalized sometimes. And so that flexibility for us, it's key to allow communities to thrive. And to your earlier point about transparency, Samantha, I think that Open Collective and Sustain and all the work we do in the Open Source Collective relies on transparency heavily to be able to support some governance decisions because it's not coming from a place where we think transparency generates trust because a fully transparent society, there is no trust, right? Because you don't need trust if everything is it's open and transparency and there, right? You trust someone when you let them do or you trust that they're going to do the right thing. But we do believe that transparency helps build, helps manage a community or helps build those relationships within a community when there's very little face-to-face. And the open source is one of those places where everyone is distributed and it's very hard to get these face-to-face moments. So transparency really helps with that. You mentioned earlier that you see yourselves as anthropologists or that's your background. My background is as a linguist. I'm studying evolutionary linguistics. And for me, it's very similar to how language evolved in some way where people started talking to each other, but then through the process of talking to each other over and over again, they started putting systems in place. And then the systems became syntax and became morphosyntax and became morphology. And now we have these systems and we can communicate. And sometimes they're a bit too much. And so we devolve back to grunts and it works just fine. And so for me, the curve of, okay, we need more structure. Okay. Too much structure. Okay. It's just, it seems to match that. Right. And, um, One of the main ways in my consultation services, when I'm working with other companies to produce community strategies, a lot of people come to me and they're like, all right, so what systems are we using to run this community? How are we going to structure this? What are we going to do? And fairly often, what I'll tell them, is it going to work in a way that they feel free enough to communicate? Is this breaking barriers? Or are you going so far that it's producing extra hurdles to their communication? Your onboarding strategy, is it too complex? Should it be as simple as, I'm just going to sign up for a mailing list, that really old thing? And do you really need new innovative ways of communicating if a BBS forum, a bulletin board style forum, works just fine for your organization? And I tend to look at the community budget light forums. My partner spends a lot of time there. They produce quality community source crowdsourced flashlights. That's all they do. And she does a lot of code for it. Their site looks terrible, absolutely horrid, but it's also one of the most long running viable strategies for building flashlights within and for a community. They don't really rely on any corporate structures or anything like that because people feel free to communicate, free to allocate responsibilities, free to just produce a thing and share it but they also have just enough systems and just enough structure for that communication to run unfettered. Our site looks awful. And I'm speaking as the guy who built it. Yeah, that's excellent. (laughs) No, it's not that bad. It's pretty bad. We also try to adopt an approach of, of super, you know, the lowest possible amount, you know, Hey, let's have a working group. Cool. What's the working group? I don't know. Get a Google doc going and we'll have a zoom call and then we'll figure out what's next. 
And that seems to work pretty well. And then eventually sometimes it gets more structured. And I think it goes back to that dialectic of interpersonal versus structural tools and reliability. I think what really works well for the sustained community and what brought me in are the events that you're running. The events are amazing. When I was in London for the event two years ago, it was my first time. I was just blown away by the energy that is at these events, the way that it brings people together to have conversations with just enough structure, as we've just alluded to. That is what brought me in. That's why I stayed. And I look forward to when we can run the next event. We're so lucky to have Gunnar as someone who organizes the actual discussions. And he does a lot of excellent work to make sure that everyone has a voice. But on top of that, Pia and the organizing committees are awesome. And they do a ton of work behind the scenes. And I know she's not going to say that. So I, I felt like I should jump in first. But that is totally not an unstructured process. That is a very lots and lots of meetings. And who paid the photographer? Is it in euro or denarii? How are we making managing this? And it's a lot of work. It has pulled together in the past three events and it's been super awesome. And now we have other events as well. We've had events in, in Lagos. We've had events in Colorado. The, the events are great. I love them. I barely organize them. I'm not really there most of the time. So it's really great. But it's interesting. Because I want to be honest, like the first time we thought about doing a conversation with a hundred people having one conversation, I was like, how on earth are we going to make this work without this being like a screaming match or a battle of the egos or pretty serious open source folks. So like, it was like, how on earth are we not going to end up in the rabbit hole of like licenses for the whole day? You know what it reminds me of a little bit like Burning Man in this sense, bear with me. Like Burning Man has the very strict, minimal organizational structure that you need in order to function. And that's beautiful. It's very lean, it's very small, but it's super strict. And Sustain has that. It's structured in the way we structure it. It's very serious, but then it's very lean. I think that's what enabled all of this energy and synergy to be created there. It's beautiful. I want to, at some point, move on to value add or what we call on the Sustain podcast spotlight which I always say with a Boston accent since we had Caitlin Tanney and she used to work at the Boston Herald nope. Globe. And so and she didn't have the real, but I pretended she had the permission to say that you can say it in a Boston accent. So spotlight. Before we move on to that, because that's normally the end of the program, I want to make sure that people who are listening know how to get involved. So Georg, where can people get involved in the chaos community? We have a website, chaos.community slash participate, where you can find how to sign up to our mailing list, where we send out weekly summaries of the work that has been going on and highlights of the things that are being worked on. We also have all the information for how to connect to our calls and working groups on that one participate website. Excellent. And if you're interested in getting onto the sustain community, we are very structured. So you have to go and file a no, just sustainoss.org. Join in. We also have this podcast. You can listen wherever it is, but sustainoss.org is how you really the discourse actually go to the discourse for sustain. That's just jump in, make a new topic, introduce yourself. If you really want to have a working group on salamander limb um, regenesis, 
let's have that working group as long as we can find a way to make it somehow related to open source. I, I think we could do it together and it'd be super cool. So actually, wow, how would we do that? Anyway, okay. Thank you so much. Let's move on to value add or spotlight. Now, value add is actually from the chaos podcast. So I don't think I can actually say what it is. Uh, what is it? H how do you do this one? We always like to end our podcasts with something that has brought value to our lives. And it can be an open source project, a library that has made our lives easier, but it can also be a bit of wisdom or something that you've recently done or discovered that has made your life more joyful. Excellent. So I can go first. So one thing that I am really grateful for is an open source project called the Toolkit for YNAB. It's a community developed browser extension for you need a budget or short YNAB. And that's the budgeting software that we use in our family. And there are some features that I just wish it had. And when I mentioned it to the organization, to YNAB, they said, we don't develop that, but you can go to this open source tool, install it in your browser, and they have that feature. And I was able to even contribute to the toolkit and get the feature to work exactly how I want it to work. And it's been a life changer in how we manage our finance as a family. I actually built a tool to convert CSV files to YNAB, and it's like an NPM package. So it's the fact that there's other people doing this blows my mind. That's amazing. That's super cool. Samantha, what's your value add? Yeah, I have a little bit of a success case. To be honest, I'm just finishing up with a rather large client. We had to produce a book, and that book had to be white label, and it had to cater to any business that person would choose to move it forward to. So it involved a lot of field editing, a lot of generation and proprietary services like Adobe InDesign have this great field system that is from 1995 and it doesn't work well. And then you go to the open source version of it, which doesn't look pretty, called Scribus. You can var anything you want. And by producing it in Scribus, we've now made a white label book that an individual who has zero experience with open source or zero experience with anything can just take that book and now apply any other brand that they want to the book and then offer it white label to their clients. And so absolutely wonderful. And I know that it's a lot more established than a lot of creative production products, but Scribus is absolutely wonderful. And I just wanted to give them a quick plug. Pia. So I want to highlight today a collaboration that we are doing with iGalia. It's called Open Prioritization. And it's a project that allows for kind of democratic voting or collective prioritization of standards and implementation work. But it also is doing it by getting joint funding for it. So they put out a bunch of projects that they can work on, and then they invite folks to pledge to fund them. And then the one that gets the pledge go quicker, and then it gets funded and done. And I really, I'm really happy with that experiment because at Open Collective, I want to start doing more of that. I want to start doing more of collective prioritization of the work we do. And so this has been like a really good, I'm very grateful for being able to run this experiment with Egalia. Brian? Yeah, so... Georg will probably roll his eyes because my running theme on these is take care of yourself. 
But more specifically this time, one of the things I found a lot of joy and also just a reduction of stress is the adage of, if you don't write it down, it never happened. And we are all inundated with a lot of things that are going on. And the one thing that I've found a lot lately that's nice is the fact that rather than trying to remember every little thing that I've heard in a a conversation like this or a meeting or something my kids or my wife says to me, I've really gotten into a habit of writing it down. And I think that is something that's the quote wisdom thing that I'd like to share is that if you can at all, just get it on paper. And then the amount of stress that's reduced by not having to remember it is really great. The follow-up to that is always go back to the piece of paper later and integrate it into your life. Don't just write it down and forget where the paper is. But And to that end, I recently purchased this electronic tablet thing. It's remarkable. And the remarkable is... It's very utilitarian, it's single use, but I'm really finding that it's great for capturing notes and then I can mail them to myself later and get that in. It's brought me quite a bit of joy for an electronic tool. So I'm really happy to see something that helps me capture things and then I can transition it over to my more professional businessy workflow tools. So it's nice. I think we have a remarkable in our house that is still unboxed. Go open it. (laughs) On the 25th, (laughs) which I think segues into mine. I want to highlight the Christmas bird counts. Christmas bird counts have been going on since 1900. It's the longest citizen science thing ever. It's awesome. So there used to be a tradition of going out and shooting every single bird you could on Christmas. And then some ornithologist was like, why don't we just go count them? And Christmas bird counts are now organized by the Audubon Society. You draw a 15-mile radius by a collector, and everyone goes and just counts all the birds. I'm doing five of them this year. They take an entire day, and they just bring me so much joy because I get to know my birding community. I get to see areas of my county or my state I haven't seen before. I've made a lot of friends on the Christmas bird count. This year is a bit different with COVID, but I know this podcast will probably come out afterwards. But if you can get involved, uh, there's like feeder watchers who just look at their feeders all day and just count chickadees. And it's just a super fun way to experience birds while contributing to one of the most important birding data sets that exist. So that's my value add today. I think it's time to say thank you. Thank you to our listeners for joining us today. Thank you, Richard and Pia from Sustain for having this shared podcast. Thank you, Brian and Binya, for joining as Chaos Panelists. I always enjoy having conversations with all four of you. It's always great. And yeah, just thank you again to our listeners. To stay up to date on future episodes of both of our podcasts, subscribe for free on your favorite podcast app. Share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. If you have ideas for future episodes, topics, or would even like to come on as a guest, please reach out and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Until next time, your sustain and chaos community. <laughs>